this idea of grounding these concepts that we're told are really ethereal, that they're somehow off planet, and they're actually not. And this idea that intuition actually is a natural byproduct of being connected to the natural world and the many worlds that that encompasses. And I think that all of our ancestors knew this innately. This was just the waters that they swam in. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth and exploring the mythic journeys we undertake when coming to know ourselves through interviews with herbalists, story keepers, ancestral listeners, consciousness explorers, earth dreamers, and other wise folk. Our guiding principles are that story is medicine, magic is real, and healing is open-ended and endless. I am Amber Magnolia Hill. This is episode 42, and today I'm talking to Asia Sewer. This is Asia's second time on the podcast, and she is very much back by popular demand. In this interview, we talk about how plants bring us deeper into ourselves, and the kind of second sight that only comes when we tune into the aliveness of the earth, the cultural fallacy that spirituality and rationalism can't coexist, the chronic health issues that revealed to Asia her intuitive self and brought her to the plant path, um, how we don't have to do it alone, and how when it comes to healing, the body works on its own timeline. Asia tells the story of the one willow to rule them all, how one ever-evolving plant relationship can transform a life, Um, but literally on an actual, physical, biological level, you are your own healer. Your pain, symptoms, ailments, everything is happening for you. The daily routine that keeps Asia's past chronic health issues at bay, the interplay between stress, the nervous system, and health, especially useful conversation for those of you with empathic tendencies, and highly sensitive nervous systems, being truly seen and the difference between being seen by nature versus being seen by humans. Uh, When you're given a book on a subject you've never heard of before and the truth it contains makes you cry, and finding the core flower essence for your multidimensional self. I am really excited to share the Patreon offering that goes along with this episode. Um, I couldn't believe when Asia offered it. I had like wanted to ask her if she'd be willing to offer this to the Patreon supporters of this podcast, but I didn't really think that it was okay for me to ask. And so when she offered, I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Yes, please. That's so generous because it is a guided meditation from her online course, Intuitive Plant Medicine. And this meditation is all about helping you connect with a plant ally. And when Asia was on this show before, episode four, Multidimensional Plants and the Fabric of Consciousness, which you are going to need to go back and listen to if you haven't yet. It's so good. Um, I shared the story of when I first did that guided meditation And my connection with Angelica and how it just like blasted my heart open and I was sobbing (laughs) and it wasn't what I expected at all. I went into the meditation thinking I would connect with another plant. Um, And, you know, 
I, it just was just mind blowing. Um, Asia's ability to really take you on a journey through her guided meditations is something that I've experienced in person with her and through her online courses a number of times. And every time, like the layers of my deepest, widest, highest self that get revealed, um, just, just totally blow my mind and change my life. Like truly. So for supporters at the $2 a month level right now at patreon.com slash medicine stories, this beautiful guided meditation is there for you. Thank you so much, Asia. I still can't believe it. Um, the other two plants that Asia and I really dive into in that first ever interview on this show are ghost pipe and reishi. And today I want to talk to you just a little bit about reishi. It's totally coincidental that um, we just released a triple extraction reishi elixir on the day that I'm recording this and that Asia and I talked so much about this on the last interview. Um, I'm not going to go into what we talk about. Of course, you can listen to it there, but I did want to share my top three reasons that the reishi mushroom deserves not only our attention, but like truly our reverence. So number one is that the culture with the longest recorded history of using it, Chinese, considers it a bestower of immortality. I can't think of another substance from the natural or pharmaceutical world that is described in such terms and that such a powerful word is used to describe its effects, I think just speaks volumes about its ability to promote well-being and longevity. And it's the best, this is number two, the best-selling medicinal mushroom in the world with thousands of scientific studies proving its incredibly potent healing actions. It's really easy to get lost in the overwhelming amount of information about reishi out there, both in books and online. But when I think of reishi, I think mostly of immunity, vitality, energy, stamina, and adaptability. Um, it's just, it's so incredible what a fungus can do when it interacts in the human body. Um, and then the third reason is that while most folks focus on the amazing physical benefits reishi confers, Asia Suler, today's guest, has shared about its ability to enhance our perception of the unseen, naming it a subtle psychedelic. Um, in the show notes, I will have a link to Asia's blog post all about using reishi in that way, coming into relationship with reishi as a ally to help subtly open our um, sensory gating channels. And I have to share this story that about two years ago, I got herbalist Sophia Rose's um, reishi elixir. And I took it one night and I remember I sat down to dinner and just everything seems like more alive and sparkly in a way. And I was like, whoa, this is like a subtle psychedelic shift in my perception right now. That's crazy. And I thought I was just um, having like a one-off experience. And then like within the week, I read an article that Asia had written about this in Plant Healer Magazine saying this very thing that like Reishi can act as a subtle psychedelic. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I, I experienced that. 
And, um, you know, if you haven't listened to episode, I think it's 13 with James Fadiman, the word psychedelic just means mind manifesting. We're not talking like you're tripping balls here, you know, but just that things are revealed that aren't usually revealed. So on that level, and with all its crazy physical healing capabilities, I mean, the studies on like cancer and all sorts of other stuff are just through the roof, phenomenal results. Uh, Ray, she just feels to me like one of the strongest allies in my life for sure. I'm so thrilled that my husband wanted to embark on this journey of growing our own reishi at home and making this medicine. It's an elixir, so there's honey in it too. It's really palatable. Like reishi can be hard to take. Mushrooms can be hard to take, but I think this tastes really good. And I just love the way I feel when I take it. I'm holding my bottle right now to my heart and smiling because it's just such a gift from from the universe, from the earth, this beautiful medicine. Um, so yeah, we grow it at home. It's triple extracted. You can check out mythicmedicine.love slash shop to learn more about it, what the triple extraction is and why we do it that way. But I want to get on to this interview. Um, and one more thing before we do that was I just want to mention that I was interviewed recently on the Free Birth Society podcast. And I shared the stories of my two daughters' births 10 years apart and how I had an unassisted birth with the first daughter and then a midwife-assisted birth with the second and why I made those choices both times and how the births went. And so you can find that at the Free Birth Society. Um, The name of the episode is Matrilineal Love, Mythic Medicine's Amber Magnolia Hill. And Emily, the host, is going to be a guest on this podcast coming up, too. So Asia Suler is a writer, teacher, medicine maker, and seeker who lives in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina. She is the creator and concoctress behind One Willow Apothecaries, an Appalachian-grown company that offers alchemical gateways of education. Asia's work is a unique combination of Western and energetic herbalism, stone medicine, earth-centered animism, and intuitive healing. But most days, she'll just say that she is someone who has fallen deeply in love with the living world. Asia's popular yearly online program, Intuitive Plant Medicine, from which that um, guided meditation is taken, is a guided initiation and cozy community dwelling for those who are ready to reopen the pathways of communication between themselves and the natural world. Asia's free online course, Opening Earth Intuition, was just released, will be available through the whole month of April. And if you are listening to this past April, then it will be available again next April, so don't even worry about it. And I will have the links to that online course, um, which again is free, to her article about reishi as a subtle psychedelic, um, to the listing for our reishi elixir, to my interview on the Free Birth Society podcast, um, to the Patreon offering for this guided meditation, and to so much more right in the show notes, as I always do. So thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you so much to the Patreon supporters of the podcast and to everyone who leaves an iTunes review or tells a friend about the show. It really means a lot. Um, And we have a great Facebook community. Also, if you're not already there, the Medicine Stories Facebook group is just a really 
nurturing and beautiful spot. It's kind of like my, my uh, safe zone in the crazy internet world. And we'd love to have you there. So thanks so much for listening. And let's get into this interview now with Asia Suler. Hello, Asia. Welcome back to Medicine Stories. Thanks so much for having me, Amber. Uh, yeah, I love having you. I've had, it's been over a year since you were last on, and I've had a number of people, right, be like, have Asia back. <laughs> so oh, I'm, ha- so I'm happy to deliver you. Oh, wonderful. Um, I really feel aligned with you. There's so many herbalists teaching good work out there. There's so, herbalism is vast, I always say. You know, there's so many um, ins for people who are interested. And it's our ancestral inheritance to know how to work with plants. But one place that I feel really aligned with what you offer to the world is coming into relationship with plants as a way to come into deeper relationship with ourselves not just focusing on the plant's chemical constituents and what can it physically heal in my body, but how can this bring me deeper into the core of who I am? Um, So I wanted to, you have this idea of earth intuition that you've written as being the knowing that lives in our connection to the living world. I thought that was like a really useful way to think about um, this connection between ourselves and plants. And you also write about it as the kind of second sight that only comes when we can recognize the aliveness of the earth. So I would love to hear, this is not something we talked about last time. Like I've also heard you talk about or seen you write about how you were kind of a dreamy, sensitive kid, as was I, and but that you wanted to prove that you could be rational and you could live in reality. And like, you know, you're going to leave all that stuff behind and like fit into our culture. How did you go from the person who was trying to prove all that to someone who's like writing these beautiful <laughs> newsletters and blog posts and teaching these beautiful courses and classes about this sort of like earth knowing and intuition? Mm, that's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the Northeast in a academic family and it was just sort of the waters I swam in was this sort of undercurrent of belief that sort of spirituality and intellectualism didn't go hand in hand and I think part of that was kind of this fallacy that I see in our culture that things like intuition or earth connection are somehow like ungrounded. You know, we see that in sort of the the criticism of calling someone like a tree hugger. And I think that's like finally fading out of our lexicon of sort of like insults. But I think that there is this, there is this undercurrent of belief that to be connected to intuition, spirituality, you know, earth-based practices that you are kind of like out to see. And so yeah, I, w- I was extremely dreamy kid and honestly not very focused and kind of in my own world. And I really had to work super hard to tune into this reality that was supposed to be sort of the one reality. And then when I was in college, I started having chronic health issues. So I talk about this in other places, but I started having chronic yeast infections that sort of devolved into a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia. And 
you know, it was really a complex of things and a lot of my different body systems were sort of starting to go offline. And I think when you have chronic health issues that the sort of dominant paradigm, the one world that we're told we live in doesn't help or cannot give you answers for, you start looking elsewhere and you start realizing that there's actually so much more, so many other worlds that exist within this world. And so I just started, like what I say often is the world inside my body was so uncomfortable and so painful that I just started going out into the natural world. And I was lucky where I went to school that there was forests and farms and I could just sort of wander around and go off path and get lost in the woods. And I started talking to trees and I started really feeling this sense of belonging and understanding in the natural world. And I think that that connection, it just blasted open my intuition again. And it ended up that I, through different intuitive hits, figured out the complex of things that were going on with me, which included a very severe food allergy and also included sort of body misalignment as well as looking at emotional, spiritual aspects of trauma earlier in my life. And it was really through my connection to the natural world that that intuition started to open up. And so one of my sort of life passions is this idea of grounding these concepts that we're told are really ethereal, that they're somehow off planet, and they're actually not. And this idea that intuition actually is a natural byproduct of being connected to the natural world and the many worlds that that encompasses. And I think that all of our ancestors knew this innately. This was just the waters that they swam in. And so we're kind of learning how to reintroduce ourselves to those depths just by making these connections and these relationships. And I think something that was really important for me to realize within all of this is that we don't have to do it alone. I was always kind of a I do it myself kind of person. Like I remember when I was three years old, I stopped taking food from my parents and they would have to like put it on a low shelf because I had this thing where I'd be like, I do it myself. And I just, I just felt like I had to take everything on on my own and internalize everything and work through everything by myself. And the reality is that there are so many wise guides in the world around you and our intuition can be expanded exponentially when we open up to these relationships and just the wise guidance that lives for us in our living connection to the natural world. I think that makes so much sense. Like I think about in my twenties, I think I read a few books or did like meditations on accessing your intuition. Um, similar like trajectory as you, you know, same kind of kid also was really trying to just like be super rational though and prove that I could do that total health crises in college. And then for me, it was right after college that I kind of started opening up to um, the natural world and to herbal healing and to my own intuition. So during that phase, when I was exploring, like, well, how do I find the intuition that was so strong in childhood? Um, and so many of the teachers focus on like, you know, you stay indoors, you do like your guided meditation, you journal about it or whatever, which is good. That's fine. I love that shit. It's great. But it makes so much sense to me that you're really going to strengthen like your instinctive knowing when you are doing that in relationship to the natural world. Because as you said, it is like this ancestral thing for humans. Um, you know, our 
ancestors, as I've said so many times on the show, were hunter-gatherers for 99% of human history. Like their whole life was instinct. Their whole life was taking cues from the natural world, watching what was going on and knowing what to do next. It's not like intuition is some big mysterious thing that's only accessible to some people. It really is our birthright as humans. Absolutely. This is how our ancestors navigated the world. This is why we're here today. <laughs> That's how our people survived was through intuition. So I love the way that you put that. Um, oh, I had a question about, you're talking about like your complexity of illnesses. Oh, I was just curious about the structural like misalignments in your body, how you specifically worked on those. And I know too, you've shared that like, these are all overlapping, you know, um, all of these, all of these illnesses and it's so complex and it's usually not like this fix that and this fix that. But do you have anything to offer for myself personally and my personal pain as far as how you fix the or address the misalignment? Yeah, well, I, I saw a physical therapist and, it, you know, I was lucky that someone sort of suggested to me, like, have you seen like a PT who specializes in pelvic stuff? And I was like, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, and this person, this was just their specialty. And so what what had happened, which I think is super fascinating, is that I had sprained my ankle really badly like two years prior to seeing this therapist and probably about four months before the pain started in my pelvis. And so I was limping around for a while. And I just it just changed my gait. And slightly changed just the way my muscular was was working. And I would have never made that connection that there was a connection there. And I think one thing that's really interesting and I've seen a lot is that, you know, all of us have like body misalignment stuff going on. You know, we all, we all have different stuff like that. And some people it will make there be referred pain in a certain area of their body and some people it won't. And so I think this is really where we come into more of the psycho-spiritual aspects of our, our body is like such a brilliant communicator. And so it will use whatever bugs are in the system to help communicate something to us. So it could be that I had gotten that injury and, you know, maybe it threw my alignment off a little bit, but you know, over the years it corrected itself and it never became a referred pain condition. But because I was, I was already dealing with so much inflammation and infection in this particular area of my body. And there was a serious backlog of processing around emotional heaviness and trauma in this area of myself that I, I think that that's why the sort of like there was a, there was a kink in the system and it was like, Oh, let's go there and localize the pain there so she will really pay attention. So I really recommend basically with like anything that someone is dealing with that you look at somatic ways of processing. So whether that's going to a somatic therapist, whether that's exercise, whether that's going to a physical therapist, I think that the body is such an important communicator, but is also, it's on a, a little bit of a slower track than our our consciousness and there's something there's a spiritual teacher named Matt Kahn who said something once that really stuck with me which is that we are actually like the spirit guides for our body 
And this is why you can sort of have an insight about something, like a flash of insight. And you're like, oh, of course. Like, I know that this is true. I'm seeing the truth. Like, everything's going to be different from here on out. And then, like, things don't change. And you're like, well, why didn't things change? Like, I had this huge realization. And it's because our body's just on this slower timeline. And so to really understand that, you know, we can keep having these amazing realizations, but it's also important to slow down and give our body time and space to process and invite in people and practices that can really help our body with that aspect of processing. Mm, Thank you. So at this point in your life, when you're figuring all this out, you're not yet an herbalist. Um, And I I've also seen you write that, you know, once you started though to become aware of, tuned into, like alive to the aliveness of the world, um, you realize that in a world animated by consciousness that like anything is possible. So how at this point out of the infinite number of possibilities of where your life could go, did you start to walk the path that has led you to who you are now? Mm. That's such a great question. I wanted to be near plants. (laughs) That's like the most simple answer is that I felt so much comfort by being near the plants and I felt like I could access this aspect of my wisdom and my intuition that just didn't happen for me in other areas of my life. Like it didn't happen for me sitting in the room and meditating and for me the awakening really came through talking to plants and so I just wanted to be near plants and that so can can I ask oh I'm sorry yeah um so it it sounds like this kind of came to you before the like I'm going to memorize the list of all this plants medicinal actions which is sort of it seems to me opposite than how most of us come into herbalism like you had the intuitive side from the get-go yeah Yeah, I didn't know plant names when any of this went down. I mean, I knew my plant friends. Like, I would go out, and there were certain trees I would visit every day. I had deep relationships with these different plants, and I had no idea what their scientific names were or even their common names. I called them my own names, the names that they told me. (laughs) And so I I was not... uh, I was not very scientifically minded. I mean, I was very much on sort of the rational intellectual train, but I wasn't, I wasn't very scientifically minded. And that, you know, so I already was like talking to plants and just loved being with them. And I, I, when I decided to go to school for herbalism, I had sort of followed this desire to be around plants into a bunch of different niches. Like I volunteered on farms and I did landscaping and then I took care of office plants in New York City when I moved there. And I just woke up one morning and it was like, literally it was as if the idea had been implanted in my dreams overnight. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an herbalist. I'm going to, I'm going to apply to herbal school and I'm going to do that. And I literally, actually, when I applied and got accepted and then moved down to North Carolina to go to the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine, I had no idea what it actually meant to be an herbalist. Like, I think I thought I knew, but I I really didn't have any idea. And so when I started, I was like the, the noobest of the noob. Like, I was such a newbie to everything. Like, I remember the first day of school, people were talking about 
I think it was probably like lemon balm and they were talking about tinctures and I was like, I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like I knew like lemon balm kind of maybe a little bit as like a culinary herb. And so, it, you know, I think there was, it was definitely like my entry point into how to, how to make this stuff that is so sort of innate to my heart something that I can work with in the world in like a tangible way. And I think it was important for my sense of self as someone who is rational and grounded and practical to go to school for something that is rational and grounded and practical. And so it really helped me, honestly, to be able to bridge into this work to feel like I had, you know, sort of background and validation in that way. And also I wanted to work with clients and I knew if I want to work with whole plants and not just energetic vibrational medicine, then I need to know plant constituents and I need to know plant ID and body disease processes and, and such. But it's been actually an interesting full for full circle journey of going to school, exiting school, doing more clinical type herbal work, and then very slowly coming back around to who I've actually always been. And it's cool because now I've I've garnered all this knowledge and I've really stepped I've really stepped fully into that stream of sort of the intellectual plant constituent world. And now I've come back to what I've really found was the most healing for me throughout all of this. And so coming back to then be someone who can open that gateway for people, the gateway that I innately feel connected to and the gateway that ultimately was the most healing for me. Yeah. I mean, even though it is in our DNA, those of us who grew up in this culture really could use a guide, you know, to, um, to reopen that earth intuition, to be led along the path of like how to get back to that that primal state that we were in as children of just being so open to the earth and to what's coming in through our senses you know and how our like viscera <laughs> responds to that um so i'm i'm just grateful that you're doing this and yeah you need both you know we need the rational and the intuitive when it comes to an approach to herbalism especially if you're going to be working with clients formulating medicines or teaching in a public way at all and we all sort of have to walk that line and hold both of them um, and i love hearing that it was super intuitive for you too to go towards herbalism and to go towards that school and just to know like this is this is what's right for me um, I just, I've spent, you know, my last 10 years blogging and talking in public, like encouraging people to do the same thing. And it's scary. And of course, it's not always actually going to work out based on life circumstances. But whenever possible, just going toward like what calls to our heart, for me at least, has always worked out, even though I might be totally broke in the short term <laughs> because I just put all my money into herb school in the long run. Um, you know, really paying attention to what, what pools my soul has always worked out. So I love hearing that that's how you started walking the path. And I'm curious if you did have any um, like plant connections as a young child, if this was something that was like hearkening back to the very beginning of your life. When I really think back to my early life, I, there's a few plants that I remember sort of before I feel like I 
kind of shut that down. Do you know what I mean? Oh, um, I sure do. So the, the, the plant that stands out the most is the, the plant that my business is named for, which was this willow tree that was in my backyard. And it was, I had a very small backyard, like a postage stamp, basically backyard in a, um, a neighborhood of duplexes. And the, we, they planted, uh, my parents and my, my grandfather planted this willow tree for me the month I was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was always like my tree. And so, you know, by the time I was, you know, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, it was a fully fledged tree. And I, it was just the most magical being because it was, it was a weeping willow. So its branches touched the ground and it was literally like you would part its branches and you would be in another world when you were inside. And I feel like that tree, that tree took on like such a sacred and important like relationship role in my life. Like I'm so grateful for that tree. It always reminded me of this truth that we could connect. And even as sort of all the other things shut down and my, I shut down my intuition and my connection to the world. Like I still felt so connected to that tree because it was my tree. Right. And it's sort of, it was like a normal thing. Like, Oh, that's Asia's tree. Of course she's connected to it. But I remember I would, I would climb up into these trees branches and I would, lay there and I felt like I was being held and I and I would speak to this tree like in a way where I wouldn't let anyone else see me but I would like whisper into the furrows of this tree's bark and just tell this tree like my secrets and my hopes and my wishes and my upsets and I would bring my journal up there and write once I you know was writing and I just remember that feeling like as if this was like my spirit guide really growing up and that tree kind of held that space for me all during my years of sort of flying abroad from my own world and my own connection to this this natural world and it's really fascinating because you know willows aren't very long-lived trees and so when this was planted my grandfather who was a plant person told my parents he said you know the tree will only last about like 20 30 years tops And so when I, when I went to college, when I was in the midst of dealing with these health issues is when the tree actually started to die. And if my parents like, you know, bless their hearts, they're, they're not like sort of the the normal, uh, suburban duo. And so they just let this tree die slowly over the years. And so it became a home for all these different birds and animals and it would drop limbs over time. And you know, for the past few years, it's been standing, like just a basically like a standing, you know, hollow tree. And then finally, like this fall, it just fell. It like a a strong wind came and it just fell over. Wow. And yeah, and it was. It's been amazing because since I started the business and decided to call it One Willow because this one willow was just so responsible for me staying connected in this way. Like I've always felt that it's sort of in a, what we might call like a shamanic kind of way. Like as that tree was dying, it was like I was being given and transferred to, to me this energy. And it's just amazing because I do feel like I'm at a turning point in my work. And this fall in particular, I released an online class that was really specifically focused towards the health issues that I had started experiencing in college when the tree had first 
sort of started naturally its dying process. And so it's just, it's just been an amazing thing. And it really is like the giving tree. And it just goes to show you how like one relationship like that can just continually transform your life in so many different phases. That's incredible. Did you ever ask your grandfather why he chose the willow? I think my parents actually chose it. And I think they just thought that it was pretty. I mean, I, (laughs) you know, and my, my grandfather was just there and he was like there to help plant it. And he, yeah, so he had that feedback, but I think they just thought it was beautiful. And we, where we lived, they had sort of filled in sort of swamplands. And so it would flood in our backyards pretty Mm. regularly. And so it had ample water and yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there was a deeper meaning besides just probably my parents following their intuition. But, it, you know, now knowing just more about willow lore and medicine and energy, I am like, I don't know if they could have picked a more perfect tree for me to be connected to. That's so sweet. <laughs> I just have a glow on my face hearing that story. Um, this really ties into what you have shared about too, about like you are your own healer. I I think this is such a powerful idea and something that it's so easy for us to get, to forget. It's it's kind of like the theme of this conversation so far is um, how our culture just kind of, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it. To me, it feels violent, like stamps out our own inner knowing. Um, like for me, it was television, processed food, compulsory schooling. I was this total magical child and then just let that all go when I was told how like ridiculous and bad it was and how I wasn't good at certain things and just stay over here in this little box. And I think a part of that is completely giving over the power to heal our own bodies. Um So you write that we all have access to one singular stream of medicine that will never abandon us, our own inner healer. Uh, For me, that just like touched my heart so deeply and really gives me courage (laughs) to go forward in my life with my pain, with my, you know, health issues and keep, keep going deeper, keep going deeper into the land around me, into the plants I already have relationship with and, Um, really tapping into the plant's ability to awaken within us the ability to heal ourselves. So thank you so much for that. And do you find that that's a message that, you know, resonates with other people as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think so many people who come into these alternative realms of healing are arriving here because they've been really failed by the dominant paradigm and the dominant medical system. And I think the biggest thing that's missing, you know, beyond just basics like, you know, client relationships and, you know, just sort of sometimes even like essential compassion is this awareness that we, we, even on a biological level are our own healers. You know, even when we take something like echinacea, it's stimulating our own immune cells you know, it's, this is not like, you're, you're not like given something new, right? This is all, all the, all the ability that we have to heal is already inside of us. And the, the plants that we take and even the pharmaceuticals that we take are, are stimulating aspects of ourselves that are already there and are already available. And 
I think on a, that physical level can help us then tune into more of the energetic or emotional level. And one thing that was really helpful for me when I was dealing with chronic pain and then dealing with chronic illness through having Lyme disease was this concept of everything is happening for you. And that is a very sometimes hard thing to just swallow in, in our culture, especially because, you know, we, we live in this culture where we're, you know, we, we fight quote unquote, the, the things that are wrong are happening in our bodies that are causing us pain. But I've really found it in my own journey to be true that these things that were happening that were, yes, like debilitating my ability to process, my ability to feel comfortable in my body, my ability to connect to people, to think, to move, to, you know, relate and share intimacy, you know, all these systems going offline. It was still happening for me. It was happening so that I could really see and address some of the issues that had been more subterranean that were arising to the surface. And I think even on a super basic level of, for example, getting the flu or getting a cold, there's always a message there that's for you. And often that message is just as simple as like slow down. You know, what what can you do to to reduce stress in your life and increase self-care and just things like that. But that that one sort of idea of everything's happening for you and your body is helping you by bringing these things to the surface goes hand in hand with the fact that you are your own healer. And it seems counterintuitive, but often the health issues that are coming up for us are the ways that we end up healing on deeper psycho-emotional levels, including, you know, sort of addressing early childhood patterns and programs that we have that are unconscious. And if we can just stay with the process, new layers of healing and understanding will always be revealed. I love that approach. It just feels really like soft, nourishing, gentle, (laughs) Um, you know, as opposed to I can get really caught up in like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why isn't it getting better? Um, So thank you. And I'm just, I'm curious, like, wow, Lyme disease and all these other issues. Like, do you have, what do you do daily now to like maintain the state of health and healing that you found? Yeah, you know, dealing with chronic health issues has just been a super big part of my journey. It's just been one of the foundational aspects and ways in which I've learned. And I'm I'm grateful for it all, even though it's was many years of challenge. And for me, I mean, I, I'm very routine oriented and routine I find really helps me to stay grounded and to really be able to con- continue implementing self-care. So one of the things that's been really important for me is just having slow, quiet um, times when I first wake up and right before I go to bed. One thing that I've struggled with my whole life is insomnia. I mean, I had insomnia from the time as well, far back as I can remember when I was a really young child. And I think it has to do in part with just being what you would call a highly sensitive person. So my nervous system is just, you know, uh, gets overwhelmed easily. 
And that is something I've really had to realize in that a lot of these chronic health issues are linked to my nervous system overwhelm and the cascade of stress that that causes in my body that then just wears down all your systems, including your immune system. And so that the, the connection between like sensitivity and stress and illness is something that just has really come to the forefront of my imagination and my awareness. And so I am certainly not perfect in this arena and I am always learning, but you know, my major goal at this point in my life is to really be able to listen to my body and reduce the amount of the load of stress in my life as much as I can. Like there's certain things obviously that you can't, you, you don't have control over, but to be aware of the things I do have control over. And so for me, the, this time of actually giving my nervous system like quietude in the morning and at night has been super important. So in the morning I, I do morning gratitudes outside, which feels really good. And then I write down my dreams and I have tea and in the evening before I go to sleep, I try to turn off all screens like two hours before I go to sleep and just not have screens in my awareness. And then before I go to sleep, I will often stretch by candlelight and meditate. And honestly, like that time of meditating is my brain dump time. Like sometimes it's really numinous and amazing. And sometimes it's literally just all the things that would normally keep me up at night because I'm actually still in an anxious, overwhelmed state. I just give myself time for them to come up and, and dump. And so, you know, these are the sort of the programs that I've put in place for myself. And of course, you know, I'm not even touching into things like diet or exercise, which has been super, super important for me as well. But I think just in general, the, the older I get and the more I look at these years of the things that I've dealt with, the more I realize like how much of this is just connected to stress and the, the, the just natural stresses of being a, high, a highly sensitive person with a highly sensitive nervous system. And it's taken me a lot of work of self-forgiveness to just be like, you know what, like some of the things that you know, I'm, I'm taking them on a lot of times, like the things that I'm choosing to do at this point, cause I work for myself, I'm choosing, you know, to, to take on, but being, being able to forgive myself for like, okay, this same task might've been totally fine for somebody else. Like somebody else could, could do this thing and not be totally dragged out like I am. And I just have to forgive myself for that and be like, you know what? Like we have different bodies and we have different nervous systems and we have different life histories. I mean, the whole nine yards, everybody's completely and totally different. And so just that self-forgiveness and self-gentleness, I think, has really helped me continue to deepen my understanding of how to take care of myself. Yeah, it's funny when you start talking about having insomnia for as long as you can remember, I immediately went back to my own childhood and same, you know, my parents would be like, why can't you sleep? I'm like, I don't know. I just like, you know, there's so much going on. And, you know, decades before I had the framework of being a highly sensitive person with a highly sensitive nervous system, 
And it's just really also good timing for me to hear you say that because just in the last couple weeks, I've been really talking to my amazing cranial sacral therapist more and more. Like every time I see her, I'm good afterwards. Like I am good. My body's aligned. There's no pain. Um, but then it creeps back in sometimes a day later, if I'm lucky, like three or four days later. And so lately I've really just been like picking her brain and like, what's going on? What can I do better? What, what am I not understanding? You know? And she's like, well, it's your nervous system is what I'm working on here. You know, I'm not working on like your muscles, your fluid, even though physically that is what she's doing, but she's like, we're resetting your nervous system and teaching it, um, how to process the world in a different way. And just ever since she gave me that framework, I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, it's just stress. <laughs> it's just like daily life and also running a business and the podcast. Like, seriously, sometimes I'm like, if I let this podcast go, I'd have so much less stress. <laughs> but I love doing it so much. And I feel it's just um, like it's a gift for me to be able to gift this podcast to the people whom it helps and whom it touches. And I just, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of all the people who are going to listen and like resonate and see themselves in your words. Um, so, and I just think so many of my listeners are also empathic, sensitive souls and always enjoy having someone like you on the podcast who can share from a similar perspective. Um, and this brings me to my other favorite thing that I've heard you talking about. I wonder if you feel the same way as an HSP is that especially in childhood, and this is something I've really had to like work on as an adult, is sort of turning away from the feeling of being seen, like not wanting to be seen, um, kind of wanting to hide, you know. But I'm, I'm just going to quote you here from one of your newsletters in the past because it's one of my very favorite things that I've seen you or really anyone write. You wrote, for as much of a revelation as it is for us to take off the blindfold and once again recognize the natural world as our kin, the living denizens of the earth never stopped seeing us as part of everything. The need to be seen isn't an act of ego or self-centered solipsism. It's a natural part of becoming in this world. Without being seen, how will the flower attract the bee? Without being recognized by those that surround you, how can you give your gifts to the wider community? To be seen means to belong once more to everything. This is just such a beautiful framing of the idea of being seen. And um, I'm curious like what your own journey into into being seen has been like how did you come to this revelation was it scary for you when you first started teaching and sharing yourself yeah so I just to put it in astrology terms I'm a cancer sun and a leo rising and so I have like really interesting conflicting energies in my life like growing up I was a total performer and drama queen at home and then as soon as I went out into the world or I was in school or at my friend's house, I was like the quiet, um, you know, like witnesser, basically. Like I, I was not that way at all with other people. And so it's always kind of been a thing for me of when I, when I feel really comfortable and at home, I can sort of let that like inner Leo out. And there's an aspect of me that loves performing and loves being seen. And then there's like this huge nascent self, which is totally introverted and like deeply private and, you know, just wants to like be in my home and 
be totally like unseen in this way. And I think, you know, once I sort of tuned into the awareness that being seen isn't just about being seen by humans, it, it really changed sort of my, my challenging relationship with, with being seen. And I remember, I think one of the things that really illuminated this for me was I was in a birding class and they were talking about how when you enter the woods, like the birds will be telling each other that you're there. So what you're hearing as like, oh, that's just regular bird chatter is actually them talking about you. And it just, it just totally opened my mind. And I was like, I just had never thought of that before. I'm like, oh, of course. Of course they would be talking about you know, an, an unknown being who is entering their space. Like, what is this person going to do? You know, what's their MO? How do they operate in this space? Where are they moving? And it just hit me that I'm like, oh my goodness, of course. Like, all of the beings in this world are seeing you because you are actually just living, breathing, walking around a part of the ecology. You have an effect on the world around you. And so you are being seen. And I think that there is this piece of being seen by nature that helps us tune into something that we all really need, which is this sense of just like objective acceptance. Like the, the natural world isn't like judging us in the same way that we experience human judgment. It's just, it's not the way it goes. Like you are being seen and other beings are responding to their perception of you in a certain way, but there's, there's this awareness, there's this feeling of non-judgment when you're out in nature that I think is part of what's so healing about being in the more than human world. And so it has really been a bomb for me over the years, especially when you are putting yourself out there and you're, you're being seen, whether it's, you know, your business or your art or your writing it is it can be really challenging and it can be really hard for just our sense of selves and our personalities and our ego like the obviously the the critique and the criticism can or the rejection or whatever you want to call it can be hard but also it can be hard to have people really love what you're doing and and you know really be into what it is you're bringing out there. Like it's, it's, it can all be challenging because it is this thing of being seen and the complex of then like, you know, feelings and, and projections and emotions and triggers and programs that come, comes with that. And so it has been super helpful for me over the years to actually just go out into the living world and let myself be seen by nature. And it actually really helps me to let go of some of the heaviness that I accumulate from just being a person who is seen in the world and is continually putting myself out there and all the then self judgments that I have then around things that happen or don't happen because of my being seen in the human world or on social media or whatever. And the, the plants, the trees, the birds, the stones, the creeks, they help me to actually like see myself for who I truly am again. And so I really encourage people, especially if it feels scary to be putting yourself out there or to be seen by the human world or, you know, whatever your particular, 
you know, society culture niche is to then sort of balance that by going out and letting the world just see you and open your heart to then what it feels like to be seen. Gosh, yeah, what an antidote <laughs> to these times we're living in. And yeah, just how stressful it is to be on social media, really, as we all are, and just be scrutinized. Um, and then, of course, in our actual living human communities, the physical space that we inhabit with others. Um, oh, I just lost what I was going to say, but let's, I'd like to ask you about your relationship with flower essences. You've been one of my biggest teachers in this realm. It's something that you really focus on. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I have my train of thought again, and I just want to say that I also really appreciate this being seen by nature perspective because it just reanimates the world around us. It reminds us that, yeah, we're not the only living beings with consciousness. And the story about, you know, the birds, which is amazing, and of course, yes, makes total sense, makes me think too that we know that like with every step that we take on the earth, the mycelium underfoot is like, oh, felt that, felt the pressure, felt the change, going to communicate that to the root system of all the plants and trees that I'm in mycorrhizal relationship with. <laughs> They're all going to know you're here. They know like your gait and how much you weigh and which direction you're going in. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. It's um, on this subtle level and coming through consciousnesses that we can't even fathom, but they are there and they are just as present and real in their aliveness as we are. And so approaching the idea of being seen from that perspective also really just respects um, the livingness of all the other beings we share the earth with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for putting that into words like you just did, Amber. Yeah, I'm glad it hit me again um, before we get into flower essences. So I've heard you share about um, the first time you you heard about flower essences, you read it in a book, and you just started crying. But tell me about that. Yeah, so this was when I was living in New York City, and so I was already, you know, on the plant train. And I remember, I was actually, my mom gave me this book about flower essences that one of her clients, uh, my mom is a, is a psychotherapist, one of her clients gave her. And she was like, you're into plants. I think you might like this. And I was like, okay. I'd never heard of them, didn't know what they were at all. And I just started reading the first chapter. And by the end of it, I would spontaneously start crying. And I, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was like in my room in Brooklyn that had no windows. And I just was like, oh my goodness, why am I crying right now? Like I just... I don't feel sad. I, wh what is happening? Like something is happening inside of me and I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, I know now what I call them are truth cries. Like I, sometimes I will just cry when something really hits me deeply as like a truth that I resonate with. And there was something about reading about flower essences that reminded me of this truth of who I am, of sort of these natural unseen laws of the universe and so I before I got into you know whole herbs I was into flower essences and 
you know, I, I didn't even make flower essences. I just loved the concept and I would, you know, get flower essences from the store and they really totally helped me tune into something that I was already innately feeling. And I think this has been a big part of my journey and probably many people's journey is that when you, when you hear something that really resonates with you as true, it's not like this feeling of like, oh my goodness, I just learned something totally new. It's this feeling of like, oh, now I have words for this thing that I've felt. Like I intuitively already felt and knew this. And now, oh my goodness, I'm seeing it reflected back to me. It's almost like more like remembering. And so for me, Flower Essences was, you know, in that book in particular, it was remembering that I am really this multidimensional being and that a lot of issues that manifest in our life come from this space of us actually blocking our connection to our, what I call wider selves and the blueprint of what's possible in our lives. And that these things that seem like they're standing in our way are actually helping us to see the unconscious blocks that we have erected between ourselves and the incredible possibility that exists for us in this lifetime. And so the, the, that's like sort of, in a very basic way, some of the philosophy behind flower essences. And it just, it was really this, the seed that opened up my awareness of working with plants as, as medicine and medicine making rather than uh, what I had previously been doing, which was, you know, sitting, sitting with the plants, which was absolutely wonderful and something obviously I still do, but I didn't know that this kind of what I now would call vibrational medicine making existed. I, I had never even heard of it before. And so it, it completely changed really the trajectory of my life to read that book and to begin with flower essences. And what's really fascinating is I, you know, I sort of started with flower essences and then I went to herb school and I started, you know, figured knew how to then make all the other medicines and I made gallons and gallons of tincture and, you know, drying massive herbs for teas and making vinegars and honeys. And it's like, I've come back to flower essences in this full circle kind of way. And of course I will still use herbs for, you know, specific things that are going on in my body. But in terms of like the ongoing medicine that I'm always working with and that I feel like is actually doing the most to help me shift these deeper, uh, emotional, spiritual patterns that are then causing the cascade of everything else that's happening or not happening in my life is flower essences that I'm, that I'm really, that I always am working with and that continue to help my life journey to unfold. Tell me about your practice of making, um, a new core essence every year. Yeah. So honestly, oftentimes I just, I start, I get a hit about like a flower. Uh, and, you know, I think this is something that can be, you know, that can cause like disbelief or mistrust in people. Like they think, they think in order to find the right flower essence, you have to consult an expert or find the perfect one in a book. But honestly, the flower essence that's really wanting to work with you is the flower that you're really captivated by. Mm-hmm. Like it's the flower that's often blooming around your house that you're just like, whoa, 
like, holy shit, that flower is so beautiful. Or like, I never saw how amazing violets were before. Or like, oh my goodness, like snowdrops? Like what? How have I never like, like really tuned into how incredible snowdrops are? And so just notice when that happens. And that is, that is the essence that wants to work with you. And so, you know, for me, the way it works is that like, I will, that will happen and I will make a flower essence and then I will work with that essence until it feels complete. And so I used to tell my clients when I did flower essence consultations, they'd be like, how long should I take this essence for? And I'd be like, take it every day until you forget. When you start forgetting to take it, you're complete. And it really is that simple. And I will notice that I will be, I will think about it every day. I will, you know, every time I take it, like in the morning or at night, I'm like, oh, thank God, my, my flower essence. And then, you know, the day will come when I forget or I look at it and I'm like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel like I need that. And then I know that like my work with that essence is complete for that time. So I promise you that there are flowers that are really wanting to work with you as an essence. And, you know, if you know how to make flower essences, go ahead and make an essence from that flower that's around your house. If you don't know how to make a flower essence or you just don't, that's not something you have access to. Even just for me, like I sometimes will just go into the store. You know, now there's flower essences pretty much in every major health food store. And you can just go to the aisle and just like, even close your eyes and like just swipe your hand over them and just see which bottle feels the warmest and just, just go ahead and and take that one. You know, sometimes it can be really helpful to just go off of our body's intuition and get our brain out of the way. And that can really help us to then open up these deeper levels or layers of intuition. Um, let me just interject that it's really easy to make them and you can figure it out very quickly (laughs) online or in a book or through Asia. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree that making essences out of the flowers around you that call to you is just going to be so powerful. Um, because you know, with energy medicine, a big aspect of it is story medicine. And so the story that you are bringing into your relationship with your feelings towards the flower the day you make the essence what was happening that day you know there's almost always some sort of like magical something that that happens during the making of a flower essence like a raven landing nearby or didn't you have like a bee sting you or (laughs) something like that happen when you're making a poppy essence that story becomes part of the medicine of every time you take that essence and and what you're hoping to cultivate or banish or whatever medicine that you are like hoping this flower essence brings into your life also becomes part of the story that you remember every time you take it. Um, So yeah, oh man, there's this flower. We live in serpentine soil here in Northern California. It's pretty rare kind of soil. And so there's rare flowers that come up and there's this flower called Sierra Fawn Lily. (laughs) So beautiful it's so cute it's so I I don't I really don't have words for how this flower makes me feel and um, the last two years I've made flower essences out of other lilies that grow out here but not that one so this has really inspired me this year to finally finally make an essence out of the Sierra Fawn Lily and um, 
you have this incredible guided meditation as part of your um, intuitive plant medicine online course that helps people to sort of tap into like particularly what that medicine, the flower essence that they made or that they're holding in their hand can open up for them. And that has been incredibly powerful for me. I've done it twice with two different flower essences that I made and was just like completely in tears both times. Oh, thanks, Amber. I'm so delighted to hear that. That's so, that's so wonderful. And I'm really excited for you to make this essence. Like even just hearing you talk about it, I got goosebumps and tingles. It's the most beautiful flower. <laughs> I'll put, um, I'll put a photo of it in the, uh, blog post here that will be on my website when this podcast comes out. Um, so we're sh getting close to the end and I would love you to tell people about your free online course, which I love, which just came out either the day this is going to be released or really close to it called opening earth intuition. Yeah. So this free course is basically a, it's a four video course that is helping you to reconnect to this intuition that is really embedded into your relationship to the earth. So with each video, there's uh, new concepts and practical things that you're going to be doing in between each video release to actually like really concretely make this relationship. And I've been so blown away. This is the third year that I've run this free course. It's only open for the, the month of April every year. And I have just been completely amazed by the downloads and breakthroughs and incredible experiences that have happened for people through this course. And so that is available starting beginning of April and will be available through April. If you are interested in signing up for that, the videos are released every few days, the first two weeks of April and it's a moderated forum. So I'll be there. I'm going to be with you on the journey. And I'm just, I'm always so excited to see what kind of magic happens inside of this course. So if this, if you're feeling drawn to anything we've talked about here today and you're just ready to, to like stir things up and, and make more connections, whether this is totally new or you've, you've been in this world for years and years and years, like this course I've just really found has been able to open such a powerful gateway for people in their intuition and yeah, their really magical relationship to the earth. So if you're interested in that, I know Amber will probably have the, the links on her website and you can also hop over to my website, onewillapothecaries.com for that. Yeah, I'll have the link right here in the show notes. Um, but then also yeah, just check out Asia's whole website and the blog, especially. It's amazing. Um, the first year that you offered this, my one of my childhood best friends and her mom took the course. Um, it was cool because we grew up together in South Lake Tahoe, but then she moved away to Grass Valley at the end of eighth grade and we like lost contact. And then when I moved up here to Grass Valley, we found each other again and just totally reconnected. And it's just been one of the most meaningful things for me. And I just had loved her mom so much and missed her mom all those years. So reconnecting with her was great too. 
And they both took the class and just loved it. And it was so much fun watching them um, like post their photos, making their flower essences, <laughs> you know, tagging you. And it's just something that I've heard them talk about with um, so much gratitude and joy. So I feel really grateful to you for opening that whole realm of like consciousness up to my dear friends. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just been an amazing experience. And the the free course opening earth intuition that that's um, available now, you know, part of my intention with offering it too is to like, you know, give something really solid to folks who are interested in beginning, but then if they're interested in deepening that practice, like, you know, sort of really diving in, then my yearly intensive online course, intuitive plant medicine begins May 1st. So if you take the free course and you're like, this is just really lighting up my world, then um, yeah, and the registration for intuitive plant medicine opens up the second half of April. Yeah, I love that, that you start the course on Beltane and then it completes at the summer solstice. It's just a really like perfect natural rhythm for the course. And it's so well done. Like everything you do is so well done. You don't put out anything that's half-assed and it's all just beautiful. Like the, the videos, everything. And, um, it's just a really sweet community to be a part of too. You have the forums there so people can interact and connect with one another. I, I find that always to be like super valuable. Yeah, it's, yeah, every year I'm just totally blown away by the experience. And we also have a really amazing lineup of bonus contributors, which includes Amber. And so, yeah, I just feel super honored to also be uplifting your work and other people's work and the course. And it's just a really amazing series of gateways that's going to be available there. Yeah, it, it's just so so worth the money. I feel like you could probably be charging a lot more for the value of the content that's um, provided and very, very happy to um, be a contributor, be an affiliate and be part of it. I love what you do, Asia. I love it so much. And I'm always um, just in gratitude for your presence and for what you bring to the world. Thank you, Amber. I feel exactly the same way. And it's been such an honor to be back here on the podcast with you. Yeah, I can't wait to get it out. People are going to be stoked. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, past podcast episodes, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, I invite you to click the purple banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, which healing herb is your plant familiar? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicinestories. There's some killer rewards there, um, exclusive content, access to online courses, free, beautiful, downloadable ebooks, coupon codes, giveaways, and just amazing gifts provided by past guests of the podcast. All of that stuff is at the $2 a month level. Um, for a little more, you can access my herbal ebook or my small online course. And 
that's all there as a thank you, a huge thank you from me and from my guests for listening, for supporting this work. I love figuring out what I can give to people on Patreon. It's so fun. And I love that Patreon makes it that you can um, contribute for such a small amount a month. I'm a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding this project into my life has been a questionable move for sure, but I love doing it and I love the feedback that I get from you all. And I just pray that the Patreon continues to allow me the financial wiggle room to keep on doing it while giving back to everyone who's listening. Um, If you're unable to do that, or if you'd like to support further, I would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would review the podcast on iTunes too, really helps get it into other ears and it means so much to me when I read those reviews. It's um, like the highlight of my week when I check them and see new ones. And people are amazing. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. The music that opens and closes the show is by Marie Sue, M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. It's from her song Wild Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Thank you so much. And I look forward to you next time.